Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's good to be with you again today. I'm Jim. I'm your pastor. Uh, It has been a beautiful season of uh, graciousness and giving at our church. We had an amazing mission trip to Mexico this month. We built a a school that's going to be a Sunday a school classroom on, on Sunday mornings, and then an after-school program for kids in the neighborhood in Tijuana uh, every day of the week. So we are thankful for that trip. Thank you for supporting it, for praying for it, for financing it, for going on it, the dozen of you who did. Uh, God bless you all. That was a great trip. And uh, we had our pantry again last weekend, and it was phenomenal. We continue to see more cars come through every single time. And our our folks offer to pray with the, our guests, and often they end up in in tears because they appreciate the compassion. They appreciate somebody reaching out enough to care for them. And uh, we've added medical supplies now to our uh, pantry through another nonprofit organization, and it's it's just a wonderful gift to the community. I'm actually having uh, lunches with other people who run pantries to say, what do we do if this thing gets bigger? Uh, because uh, real life's generosity is is overflowing. So I appreciate that about all of you. Thanks also to all of you who already already have responded with gifts and offerings to our upcoming auction. Because our, our preschool, remember we started a preschool a little over a year ago. Uh, we're going to start doing what I hope will be an annual auction to gather together parents and members of real life and alumni of this preschool because it's been around for many years before we got there. And we're going to do a dinner, a beautiful dinner with live music and a silent auction that's lots of fun. And there have already been uh, donated a dozen or more really nice items. There's some great gift baskets from Disney, some great services that came in uh, that are that are going to be offered. And, and so if you would prayerfully think, do I have some nice uh, goods that I could offer or services that I could offer as part of the silent auction, all of that helps raise money so that we can redo the, the turf at the preschool uh, to save water here in California and make it so that when the sprinklers go off, it's not a muddy mess for all of our uh, preschool kids to play in. So thank you for all of you who have already responded to that. Please prayerfully consider, is there anything that you can give to the auction? And then you are invited to the auction. Those tickets are for sale online at reallife.la slash auction. And uh, if you want to come along, we'd love to have you for that dinner on March 19th, I believe it is. You'll see that all online. So anyway, that's all the news. Uh, God bless you all. We are going to dive back into our series on the Gospel of Luke, asking who Jesus was and looking at his life and his teachings. And we've discovered that Jesus was a surprise to everyone who he encountered. And we've seen the surprise of his miracles, and we've seen him sending his disciples out in the world, and they were a surprise wherever they want. And now we're in this core block of teachings that Luke captures. And while there's a wide range of teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, there are certain themes that he goes back to, uh, that Luke goes back to uh, more than the rest of them. And so we're honing in on a couple of Luke's major themes in this, this block of teachings in this book. So that's where we will pick up again today. As we get into our study of God's Word, let's pray together. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you have called us to live gracious and generous lives, and so you have provided for us 
so that we might do so. You've provided for us so that we can uh, love people who live nearby, uh, who need groceries, that we can love people who live far away, who need schoolhouses and homes and churches. And, and you have poured into us so that we can, without worry, uh, live generously. And I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would break down walls that have come up in our hearts of fear of not having enough, of greed for more than we need. Uh, break those walls down and set us free to live lives of freedom and generosity in Jesus' name. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off. We are in the Gospel of Luke. I believe we are in chapter 12 now at verse 13. And we're going to look at a teaching of Jesus when somebody from the crowd raises a hand. Okay, so Luke 12 at verse 13. Listen to God's Word. <clears throat> Oops, here we go. All right, Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, he's addressing Jesus, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So here Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, and somebody decides, well, I'm going to use Jesus as a lawyer, which was not totally unheard of in the first century world. The local rabbis were the interpreters of God's word. And so if you had a legal case, there wasn't a separate category of lawyer. There was only God's law and the people most qualified to interpret God's law, who were the rabbis. And so he is going to Jesus and using Jesus for what you might expect a rabbi to do, interpret God's law in a way that says to my brother, hey, you have to, you have to share, you have to be fair here. Jesus replied, man who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you. <laughs> now, you know that you have annoyed Jesus when he begins to address you by going, man, Man, who, who put me in that job? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus is going to go after two vices here, and greed is the first one. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Um, He's, he's going to tell a story about this guy who gets very well off and does not use his resources well. And he begins with kind of an interesting uh, a ground note here, an interesting foundation. He says, he says the, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He doesn't say the man worked hard and got rich. He says the, the soil was fertile. Did the man create the fertile soil? He, he didn't. God provided that. Th this man has benefited from being able to own a, a property of land that God has made abundant. And that's actually important. I don't, I don't, I don't know how, how much Jesus thought about this before he said it, but it lays out a great understanding of our resources for us. What we have is given to us. I, I didn't choose to be born with whatever natural talents or abilities I have, that's how I'm born. That's how you're born. We didn't choose to be born in a land where we could pursue freedom and work freely. That, that was given to us. So much of what we have in life was provided for us. We didn't choose our genetic makeup. We, we came out as we were. And a lot of people walk around acting like they've hit a triple when in fact they were born on third base. 
A lot of people go around proudly going, look at how far I've gotten, look at how much I've built for myself. Well, they started with all kinds of advantage. And if we want to be serious with ourselves, living here in the United States of America, we were born in a place that is the upper 5% of the world's wealth and prosperity. We live in abundance, and we are born into it as though it were normal. We have to do things like travel down to Tijuana to see what the contrast is between people who were born here and people who were born elsewhere. I intentionally took uh, my 15-year-old and the, the international student living in our house down to Mexico because I wanted them to see the contrast and how much they've been given and provided at no effort of their own. So, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He was born on third base. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, he's planning a conversation with himself, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Make no mistake, this is Jesus' direct attack on the American dream. The American dream used to be to have enough, to be able to put food on the table. The American dream now is to have more than enough, so much so that we can just retire and take it easy. It used to be work for a company or start a business and get rich and then retire early. It's now create a YouTube channel in which you are a celebrity and don't have to do very much work. Whatever it is, though, the American dream has become to have more than you need, so much so that you can eat, drink, and be merry and not worry about life. That dream was concocted. It was fabricated intentionally by people who wanted to put you in a state of constant thirst. It was put in place by uh, guys like Edward Bernays, who a century ago were the masterminds of publicity and marketing, those who laid the foundation for all current marketing. Uh, it was captured in the world's, uh, words of Paul Mazur of Lehman Brothers, who wrote, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture, from a culture which pursues what it needs to survive to a culture which desires more. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old has been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. He consciously named what the marketers of the day, a century ago, were doing. We need to create an American dream in which people feel constantly like they don't have enough where they are constantly barraged of images of people who are happier than them because they have more than them so that they will go out and spend more. It is the foundation of modern marketing, and it has shifted the modern psyche towards a constant state of anxiety that we don't have enough and we will never be happy. And yet, 
Professional scientific studies are being done on happiness. Happiness has become a topic of study within the psychological, uh, within the field of psychology. And this is actually a new shift in that field. And people have done studies on how happiness works and, and how people's happiness proliferates. And, and they have shown repeatedly that there is a certain point at which Though your salary continues to climb, your happiness plateaus. There's actually a numerical value that they have put on numerous cities throughout America where if you make more than that, your happiness really does not incline with your salary. And yet people have been taught you have to make more and more if you want to be more and more happy. And if you are discontent, you're not making enough. You don't own enough. Go out and get more. And Jesus longs to set us free from that kind of greed. That kind of greed constrains us. It shackles us. It enslaves us. And we worship a God who longs for his people to be free. You have been fed a line that says you don't have enough and happiness is linked to your possessions. The sociological and psychological studies out there say that is absolutely not true. The longest study in, uh, in happiness the longest study in anything uh, that's ever been done is being done at Harvard right now. And the study's gone on for 80 years. And it is a study on a generation of people and how they grew and how their happiness was affected. And it has shown the most significant determinant of whether or not you are happy is whether or not you have loving relationships. The study has shown it doesn't have to be a lot of relationships. It can be a few. It doesn't have to be romantic relationships. It can just be friendships. But the primary factor determining whether or not you and I are happy is do we love? Are we in relationships where we get to give and receive love? If you want to be happy, and we all do, that is the one thing we are all pursuing. If you want to be happy, that happiness is going to be found in the context of love. Now, that should not surprise students of the Bible because Jesus said, you are made for two things more than anything else. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That is what you are made for. That is your design. It should not surprise us when modern science confirms the teachings of Jesus because science is studying the world that Jesus made. Science is studying the physical bodies, the brains that Jesus designed. Science is simply confirming what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. If you want to be happy, if you want to find fulfillment in life, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Do not get it constrained and tied down by greed. It will not make you happy. And the day comes for all of us where it's all over. And that mass of things that you've piled up don't go with you. There's nobody on the other side of the grave who's going to say, good job, you made a lot. In fact, it may well count against us. The day will come where we stand in front of God and give an account of our lives. And if we, all we've done is pile up so that we can eat, drink, and be merry and retire early, God will say, you fool, that was your life. There's a, a class uh, being taught at Yale University called the Science of Well-Being but the students at Yale call it the happy class. And it's actually offered free online. I've taken the class. It is a brilliant study 
in happiness. And all of these studies have, that have been done on people's wealth and how they pursued wealth and what they got for themselves and how it affected their happiness, it, it is a remarkable class. And I recommend it to you. It's free, just the science of well-being, Yale University. You can find it. And it showed again and again that the people who are most happy in life are the people who learn how to love. We should not be surprised by that. That's exactly what Jesus said. The God who made the universe came and walked the earth in human form so that we could see him and know him and understand him. And what he said when he arrived is, I love you. You're mine. There's nothing I want more than to spend every day with you. If you'll trust me and follow me, I will provide for you. So you don't have to worry about chasing after all the things that the world chases after. Just let me take care of you. Jesus goes on, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now this is the second vice. The first one was greed. The second one is worry. He's going from, from wealth to worry because the two are interconnected. He's going from, from avarice to anxiety because the two are inter interconnected. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Well, I'll tell you why, Jesus, because I don't walk down the street choosing to worry. I don't one day go, I think it'd be really fun if I worried today. Let me see if I can do that. Worry comes out of nowhere. It hits me upside the head, and then I can't shake it. My question back for Jesus, if I'm the guy in the crowd raising my hand, is, going, is, is to say, wait a minute, how do I stop worrying? I didn't choose it in the first place, and it's hard to get away from. Well, he's going to answer the question for us. Martin Luther, great reformer of 400 years ago, once said, you can't stop birds from flying overhead, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. And that's what we have to do with worry. We can't stop them from flying overhead. We can't stop worry from going by, but we can stop it from nesting in our minds. And Jesus is about to show us how. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor. Solomon was a great king in the Old Testament, thousand years before Jesus, fabulously wealthy, was known for his wealth. Everybody came to see how wealthy he was. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these, one of these flowers. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your father knows what you need. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. This is how. This is the how question. How to stop worrying. Put God's kingdom first. Seek God's kingdom. You can't stop the birds from 
flying overhead, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. You can't stop worries from approaching you. You can stop from concentrating on them by shifting your concentration to something else. Instead of worrying about bills and income and jobs and finances and wealth and retirement, we can spend our lives focusing on Jesus and his kingdom. That's what he wants us to because he wants to set us free from greed and from worry. Do not be afraid, little flock, he says. Uh, and I, I paused on this one because Jesus uses sheep and shepherd metaphors, but he doesn't do it all the time. And, and I paused to think about why is he calling them a little flock? Why is he referring to them by the word that is used for sheep in the midst of this teaching? And it occurred to me, if you are a first century Jewish person and somebody references shepherds taking care of sheep, your mind immediately goes to Psalm 23 most famous psalm in the, the Hebrew scriptures, a poem that they all knew. And it begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God watches over me, I will not need anything. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Focus on his kingdom, he knows what you need, he'll take care of you, he is your shepherd, little flock. So don't worry, the shepherd is good and the shepherd cares for you. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. One of the most famous lines from Jesus. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You want to know what you care about? Look at your Venmo account. That, that's where your your heart is, where you have spent your money, says everything about what you care for. I can't tell you how freeing it is to be generous, to live generously, to not, to not worry. Um, and I would, have to, I would have to tell you a lot of stories to share with you my full experience of what this looks like. I started when I was in high school tithing. I started giving 10% of my income to, to the church. And as I, as I grew, uh, I continued to do that, and I also began to give to charities uh, outside the church as well, supporting children through Compassion International and giving to pantries and things like that. And I never worried about it. In high school, I never worried about it because I, I'd mow the lawn. I'd get $20 for mowing the lawn, and I'd give $2 to the church. I didn't have to worry about it. My dad was taking care of the fact that I had a house to live in, groceries on the table. My, my parents provided everything we needed. Well, it's not any different now. My Father in heaven is still providing for me. And God loves us better than a human parent can love their own child. And he invites us to live generously and to experience the fact that he will provide for us. Uh, this last week, I realized I had some tools in my garage that were collecting dust that I had not used in a long time. And I know some people would jump to sell them or make a profit off them or save them and say, well, I might use them one time. I'm just going just gonna to keep them. Um, it occurred to me I was holding on to a resource that could be useful, and I didn't need to hold on to it. And rather than seeking to find a way to profit from it, I called Habitat for Humanity and said, if you want them, you can have them. And so they're coming this week to pick up all my old tools. And God wants to invite us into a place where when we realize we have a resource that we don't immediately need, we immediately think, I bet this could bless someone else. And that's how Jesus wants us to live. It's like this. Imagine you go to a party. And, and when you go to a party, they've got a, a, an abundant 
buffet table set out. And on this one table, they have all the nice food. They have the, the, the shrimp cocktails and the, the, the lobster pate on the expensive, you know, crackers. And the, they have all the, the nice food set out. I want to see a little tri-tip on the, with the Gouda cheese and the toothpicks. And it's all set out on this nice table. I was fasting last month, so I'm really into food this month. So it's all set out there at this beautiful party for you. And when everybody gets to the party, that is the table they beeline it to because it's got all the best. It's got the most expensive food. You're not going to go buy that yourself. That You'll eat that at somebody else's house. On another table, they have put out tomatoes. God only knows why. There are carrots and celery. And you look around for the farm animals that are supposed to be eating from this table. If you're lucky, there's a ranch dip, but that's it. And nobody goes for that table because if you wanted to buy that, you could. No one does. You buy that, and then two weeks later, you throw it in the composter. But over this table, it's beautiful. It's lavish, all the delicious food, all the wonderful stuff over there. And so when you get to the party, everybody beelines it to the good table and ignores the, the carrots and celery. Well, imagine at this party you go to, the host greets you at the door, and they say to you, oh, I'm glad you're here. Hey, I wanted to let you know, um, I, I, in addition to all the food that's out, I have a, I have a take-home box of, of the nicest food for you to take. And I also bought you a French silk chocolate pie. That's my favorite kind of pie, in case anybody wants to know. If I bought you a French silk chocolate pie, and it's in the fridge, and I'm not putting that out. I'm not going to share it. Well, nobody gets a piece. You get to take that home. I bought it just for you because I knew you liked it. And that's how you, you're introduced to this party. Everything that you need, you, I've got it set aside for you to take home. You're going to be fine for days. Plus, I got you this, this lovely dessert that you like. It's all ready for you. Well, now the party has changed for you. Now you're over here at the, at the rabbit food table eating carrots and going, help yourself to the nice tray tip over there. You guys enjoy. It's great. It's all over there for you. Enjoy yourself. And you can eat the, the cauliflower and things over here because you know everything you need is already taken care of. That's the vision of life that Jesus has for all of us right now. I absolutely know what you need. I absolutely knew what you need before you knew you needed it. Trust me, trust me, trust me. I am the good shepherd who watches over sheep. My desire is to lead you to green pastures beside still waters where you will be free and at peace. That is what God wants for us. And he wants us to, to let that sink so deeply into our souls that we can live lives of open hands and generosity because we don't worry about whether or not he will take care of us. That's what Jesus wants for all of us. He wants to set us free from greed that ensnares us and sucks the meaning out of life and worry that traps us and drains the joy out of life. He wants us to have freedom and joy, and peace, and love. That is the life that Jesus has lined up for us. So don't worry about food and what you'll wear, because God's got all that in mind for you. He's already set that aside to provide for you. Live life with a mind for his kingdom. Live life saying, not what I, what can I get for me today, but hey, how can I build a school in Mexico? How can I feed people who need need food in the community around me? Uh, what, what can I do to better provide for people around me? And trust that as we do that, Jesus sees our graciousness and seeks to take care of us. The, the problem we have in, in Christian America is that we have people who look at all the promises that God has for us, and they only pick one. Uh, it, this comes from the book of Ephesians, and the Apostle Paul 
portrays the, the suit of armor that he would have seen Roman centurions wearing in the day. And he takes that suit of armor and he puts it in kind of a spiritual metaphor. And he says, you as a Christian need to be prepared for the spiritual battle that's out there in the world. And so you're going to have to put on a helmet and take up a shield and put on a belt and shoes and a breastplate. You're going to dress up like a Roman centurion, but in a spiritual way. And he puts it this way. He says, you're going to put on the, the helmet of salvation and you're going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And you're going to take up the shield of faith and the belt of truth and the shoes of peace. And then you're going to go out and you're going to be ready for the spiritual battles around you. And the problem is, in Christian America, we only pick one thing. We say, the only thing that really matters is that I get into heaven at the end. That's going to be the big buffet table that I want to get to. So I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation. Faith takes work. I don't really want to spend a lot of time with that. The breastplate of righteousness, I, you know... I'm going to see how much I can get away with and still get into heaven because I've got my I've got my heaven ticket. I accepted Jesus. I prayed the prayer. He's going to forgive me. He died for me on the cross. I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to live for myself after that. I, the belt of truth. I you know I I'll tell the truth when it's convenient and peace is not something I really have deep in my heart. But I've got the helmet of salvation and so that's all I need. I'm going to get into heaven in, in the end and it doesn't have to change a lot between now and then. So we have a lot of Christians running around and the only part of the armor of God in which they have dressed themselves is the helmet of salvation. They're running around wearing a helmet and nothing else. The problem with Christian America is that we have a lot of spiritual streakers. They're just running around with that helmet on and nothing else. That's, that's, not, that's not the right way to live. That just makes you an embarrassment for the neighbors. Life is worth so much more than that. And faith is so much deeper than just getting saved so you can go to heaven in the end. Jesus wants to transform your today so that you live free of greed and worry, so that you live with abundant generosity. I cannot tell you how freeing it is to live a generous life. I can only show you. So if you have not already this month picked up one of these cards, pick up one of these cards. If you're over at the Glendora campus right now, everybody at Glendora, say hi. I can't hear you. That's not how cameras work. Pick up one of these in the lobby. We have it in the lobby at the Valley Center Campus. If you're watching online, uh, you, can, uh, you can zoom in and you're going to write this down yourself. You can do that. You can make your own card. It's not going to be as flashy as this one, but you can make your own card. This is our blessing card. And on one side of the card, we're listing eight names of people that we're going to bless this year. We're going to write down their names, step one. Step two, we're going to start praying for them. We're going to pray that these eight people would come to know Jesus deeply. We're going to then seek creative ways to bless them. We're going to uh, send them uh, encouraging texts. We're going to take them out to coffee. We're going to do something that needs doing in their lives. You know your friends better than I do. Find a way to creatively bless them. We're going to then invite them into the community of faith. We're going to invite them into real life church. We're going to invite them into our small groups and our, our homes. We're going to encourage them to join God's family where they can be cared for and loved. And then lastly, we're going to seek to be an example of Jesus to them. If you will do this this year, it will transform your entire year. Uh, one of the people on my card have already prayed to invite Jesus into their lives, and they're now reading one of the Gospels for the first time. Do this this year, it will change your year. Or you can just live to chase after an abundance of possessions and see how happy that makes you. All the studies say it's doomed to failure, but you can give it a try. Maybe it'll be different with you. Seek to live life as a blessing. Come work at the pantry. 
We, we have more cars every time. When we do things like go to Mexico, either, either come with us or pray for us or, or fund it. Do what it takes to be generous. Think about what resources you have and provide them for a church auction or for a nonprofit organization that needs them. Live life generously. I cannot tell you how freeing it is to live a generous life. In the end, Jesus let go of everything for the sake of generosity. He died on the cross. He gave up his life for you and I so that we could receive the abundance of his kingdom, not just salvation, but a transformation of our lives here and now, where we are suddenly set free from greed for having too much and anxiety about not having enough, to instead live lives of, of love, which is what we were made for and which makes us happy. Jesus gave up everything so that we could receive everything. And if you've never done that before, we're gonna, we're gonna invite Jesus in now and begin that life of faith. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you came and walked this earth so that we could know you, that you died for us in the end so that we could be forgiven. And we pray now that by the power of your spirit, you would chase greed and worry out of our hearts, out of our families, out of our church, and out of our community. Jesus, by the power of your spirit, transform our worried and selfish lives into gracious and generous lives. May we be known as a people who give sacrificially, because we have no fear that the shepherd who watches over us loves us. Jesus, thank you for that love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.